I'll be honest, I didn't uh I didn't know how I was gonna feel this morning. How about that for honesty, right? But then I realized like God's got it. You know what I'm saying? Then there's there was this thing last night where we're tending to Crystal's uh, mom's animals and stuff, so like we stopped by the house to uh, lay out church clothes and get it all ready to roll, so we feed horses in the morning and everything. We clicked on the weather. And it's really hard to find the weather that shows your area. So we were flipping through stuff, and I was downloading apps after she finally caught the, the local weather. She's in there grabbing her clothes and all. And while watching one of, these, one of these apps, I watched this guy start drawing on the weather board. He's so excited to be drawing on the weather board. You know what I'm saying? Like, in my head, I'm like, what a dork. You know what I'm saying? Like, come on, man. You got to get more excited about something than, than weather. But, like, he's drawing on this weather board, and to him, it's like a football play. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's one of them announcers that's doing the circles, and the, he's going to run. You know, I think of John uh, Madden and, and how crazy he'd get drawing pictures, and he'd get so excited he'd have to draw all over and clear it and, and go again, and that's, that's this weather guy. He's so excited about what has the potential of coming this way. And that's all it was. He was excited about what was brewing. He was excited about what was what was coming. And I don't know if you catch it with what Danny read. And, and if you were here last week, you should have definitely caught a transition. But like something's brewing up in Solomon's mind. We went from a chapter last week where it was it'd been better for you to be stillborn than to even live. To now there's this there's this thing in his mind where he's like, hold on. Rather than everything sucking, and everything does still suck, and everybody experiences some suck, it doesn't matter if you're rich or if you're poor, it doesn't matter if you've got a lot, it doesn't matter if you've got a lot of friends, it doesn't matter if you've got a lot of women, like everybody is equally going to experience the suck. But then he said, that's what he's been saying for six chapters. Then he gets to seven and he says, but there's something good about it. Now I ain't saying he having that total epiphany moment, and surrendering that life over to Christ yet. But, but I like to kind of call him like the prodigal son theology. He's starting to come back home. And there ain't nothing better than starting to come back home. There ain't nothing better than when something's brewing and you know it's got the potential to bring forth something awesome. Now, I don't know if I got a lot of you with the weather, so y'all disappointed me a little bit with that. I was super excited last night. Football season's ended. So, so this week was Valentine's Day. If you bought flowers... If you bought some chocolates, if you lit some candles, and if you bought her a good dinner, something was brewing. Oh, I got more of you with that. Okay, good. Right? Because I can keep going. I'm not afraid to get in trouble. Right? <laughs> That's clear. Something's brewing when the mood is set right. Something's brewing when, 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 when the conditions are set right. No different than this week, guys, and this morning, if you ain't felt it like, like something was brewing in the worship. Something was brewing in your prayers. And if you didn't pray and you didn't worship before you got here, I sure hope you was praying and worshiping while you was here. And if you missed both them opportunities, then I don't know if what was brewing is coming your way. But something's brewing and something's good, right? Like this chapter is is beginning to to change. And I I feel a lot of excitement about it. Because when he gets to chapter 7, he starts using words like wise and wisdom. He uses them things 35 times from here to the end end of the letter. 35 times he's going to say it was wise or it was wisdom. I used wisdom and I saw some wiseness coming out. Like he, he relates to this, this whole idea. And you're like, well, of course, pastor, he's the wisest guy ever. Yeah, but he's talked about suck for a long time. 
I don't know about y'all, but man, we in February, we, we almost at the end of February, we, where we at the middle of February, we at the middle of February, and all we've talked about all year long is suck. That's disappointing as a pastor. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm like, Lord, give me the good stuff. You know, I want, I want to revive us for the, for, for the new year. And God says, yeah, but you got to get through the suck before a stew one can get brewing. Right? So we get, I'm not saying we're there yet. Don't be expecting like the greatest things you've ever heard the next six weeks. But I'm saying at the halfway point, the prodigal son is coming back home and we're getting a little bit of, of Solomon changing his attitude. Instead of, instead of him talking about this whole narrative idea, which maybe some of the narrative was him, maybe some of the narrative was some of his friends. Now he gets to, to writing like I would write if I was a writer of scripture. It's all brief, crisp, simple sounding statements that are insightful. Not that mine would be greatly insightful, but I can't write like long stuff. So, so I would just have these little short. That's why I like, anybody remember a haiku poem when they was in school? Y'all remember what a haiku? I'm dead serious. You college kids should raise your hands. What is wrong with you two? Right? A haiku poem. Here's why I like haiku. Not that I am a great poet, but a haiku poem, you only had to have three lines. Even I could make an A. When you only got to write three sentences, you know what I'm saying? So, so I loved it. I was like, three sentences, boom. And all I got to do is count the syllables. Anybody remember what they were? Because I don't even remember. I knew you would know. What is it? Five, seven, five. Anybody could come up. You know what I'm saying? Like three lines, five syllables, seven syllables, five syllables, boom, you got an A. That's how Solomon's starting to write. He's writing these little, these little, these little short notes. And these little short narratives, and he's, and he's shifting instead of telling stories. Now, now he's going to start talking about, like, I guess you could almost call it like he's adding some Proverbs into the Ecclesiastes. So look at verse 1. Verse 1, he starts with his very first words of, of wisdom, a wise saying. Some, some wisdom. Verse 1 says, a good name is better than fine perfume. The preacher now is talking about, and he's comparing a good reputation to the rich aroma of an exotic fragrance. Now, you don't have to research very long and figure out back in the day they ain't had no running water. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I was watching the, the, what is it, 1923 or whatever, and, and there was this episode where they get to this hotel, and she was like, and they got running water. You know, and I was like, man, I, we kind of take the simple things for granted nowadays, don't we? Like, they was excited to just have running water. They ain't had no running water back then. So if you didn't want to stink, you had to put on some perfume. So now we've gone from sucking to stinking. Right? And that, that, that's where he's writing. So he's saying it'd be better if you just had a good reputation than, than if you had a good fragrance. Now, in my head, I'm like, hold on now, because we always like, we, we don't want to have the smelly kid. You know what I'm saying? Like, like you don't want the teacher to write home and tell you, like, hey, your kid's become the, the smelly kid. You know, that was Big Daddy's uh, biggest fear. If you ain't seen that movie, you need to watch it. Like, like he was worried that he was, he was, he was raising up the smelly kid. But Solomon here writes and he says, man, I'd rather you stink on the outside than to not have a good character. He says, be more concerned about your character. And here's how we know, here's how the differentiation between the two words we need to make sure we go. Be more concerned about your character than your reputation. Because see, reputation is all about the outside. You can smell good on the outside, but on the inside you can be some dirty trash. So he says, be more concerned about your character than your reputation. Character is who you really are. Your reputation is just what people say you are. And there'll be a lot of people in this world that you can fool into thinking that you were great, 
And they'll be foolish enough to tell you that you're great. And you'll continue thinking you smell great when in reality you stink. Right? How about words of wisdom? Now, I understand reputation is often based on character, but not always. Dwight Moody writes this. He says this about character. He says, character is what you are in the dark when no one but God sees you. We build character in private, gaining little victories over self. You think about that. The little decisions you got to make on your own, the little decisions you make when nobody's watching, and that builds you up and builds your confidence up, and you finally get to a level where you can overcome who you used to be and declare who you are. Your character's being developed. The truth is reputation so concerned with image that it forgets about character. It's so worried about what other people think and what other people smell about you that, that it forgets who you're supposed to really be. If we want to have a good name, we better make sure our good name is before a good God rather than good people. Right? Now, everything's got its place. I'm not taking away from your reputation mattering in the world. But what I want to make sure we understand is what's most important is how God views us. What's he seeing? What's he checking out? Ask yourself this. Here, here, just an easy way to check. What do people think about you? Or, or how do people talk about you? If they were to describe you, what character traits would come to mind? If there was an interview, I've been getting a lot of calls for, for an old friend that's, that's going for a new job. And they'll call and they'll ask these questions. How would you, how would you describe? Would you hire again? You know, and, and all these things. Well, would people say you're cheerful? Would people say you're critical? W would people say you're, you're stingy? Or people say you're generous? Would people say you're kind? Or would people say you're... You're harsh. You can write it down this way. How, how do people think I really, really smell? Solomon's saying something so obvious. He says, it, being good is better than, than smelling good. But then he totally shifts in Solomon fashion. In the same verse, he, he goes from saying, like, it's better that, that you make sure your character's good than your reputation. But, but the truth be told, the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. And I think that's couple two-part things right here right I, I think about birth and I got three kids so I don't need none of y'all telling me like I'm just hating on children right but there's more lies told in the birthing room than anywhere else on the planet am I is anybody with me you know what I'm saying like they bring forth this thing and I call it a thing because it is a thing when it comes you know what I'm saying like it looks weird it looks strange. It's, it's, it's surrounded by this gooey gunk that's all over it. It's, its head isn't even shaped right. And I can say that. Paxton's head was the funniest shaped thing in the world. Go camping if you want to, boy. I'll get you right here on TV. Right? Like, like it, I'm just being honest. It was funny looking. He looked like an alien to me. And everybody who come in the room wanted to say, oh, my God, he's so beautiful. My God, what do you consider ugly then? You know what I'm saying? Like, what in the world? So you make the, like, this trip down to this little room while, while Mama's recovering, and they got all of them in there, all the aliens. They're all in this one room together. And you're like, I'm going to be able to walk in there and figure it out. <laughs> I think it was with Reese. I can't remember for sure, to be honest. It was too funny. I'm standing there, and there's, there's a room full of all these little white babies, right? And this one black baby and this one black dude and me just standing at the window, and we looking. And I'm looking, still got this mindset that maybe the first one, something was just wrong with him, right? So I'm like, the second one, maybe he really will look like me. You know, I've heard like lions have to look like their daddy so that the lion daddy don't eat them. So I'm looking, I'm like, I, I'm looking, trying to see like, how can I tell which one is mine without looking at the tag? Um, you know, the little name tag on them. And, and, and I'm looking around and, and this, 
This fellow looks at me and says, at least I know which one's mine. <laughs> I said, yes, sir, brother, you're right. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out which one's mine. Maybe that's the wrong one. <laughs> but you get, you get past the day of birth with all the lies and the rose petal smelling stuff. And you get to a day of death. And you go find out what people really thought of you. You're going to find out what people stand up and what stories they tell. You're going to, you're going to, you're going to realize what, what, what people truly thought of your character and your reputation on top of one another at the same time. And truth to be told. And if truth ain't told in the church, I promise you when people gather outside remembering and telling stories, truth to be told there. Some things you probably won't be told and sometimes you probably don't. But it'll all be truth. It'll all be honesty. It'll all be real. So as he writes this thing and, and he begins to, to transition, he's going to say three things about it. And we, we've heard many on these verses before, so I'm not going to go into to grade on any of them. But he says, better is death than the day of birth. Uh, then the second shocking statement, he says, is better to attend a funeral than a party. You know what I'm saying? He says, there'll be more wisdom and more knowledge gained by attending a funeral and understanding the realities of life than there'll ever be that Friday night at a party when people's just filling your heads and telling goofy stories that really don't matter. And then verse 3, he says, better is sorrow than laughter. Now, I wrote them three questions down, and right under it, I wrote, like, what in the world is Solomon talking about? And then, then the reality hits. It's no different than what he's been saying for six chapters on, on, on pieces of it. The truth be told is that these are often the things and the times, these three questions, are often the things and the times that we want to hide from. Nobody wants to talk about death. You know what I'm saying? Nobody wants to embrace that. We want to embrace life. Nobody wants to go to the funeral. Everybody wants to go to the party, the feast, where the food is. Unless you're in the south, and then we eat at both of them, so it really don't matter, right? So, but but nobody wants to nobody wants to experience sorrow and sadness. Like we'd rather laugh and have joy. But Solomon's saying here, he's saying that all the things you want to hide from, and all the things you don't want to embrace, and all the things you don't want to go through, that's totally normal. It, it, it's expected that you'll have a negative attitude about it. However, there's so much more that these moments can teach you than the opposites ever will. These are lessons that you're not going to learn at the house of feasting. These are lessons you're not going to learn while you laugh. These are lessons you're not going to learn at the house of, of birth. We're going to look at some long, hard truths that, yeah, they rightly break our hearts. However, the chief aim of these things is to let us understand that the good times, this side of the sun, if we depend only on them, we'll be so disappointed. Because the greatest lessons we learn come on the other side of things as well. So, so now as you talking about these, these good times that aren't going to last, he's saying morning helps us to accept and understand that good times got limitations. I, th I think it's one of the most powerful things for, for a married couple to get to a moment where they realize, like, it ain't always the good times. Now, I don't mean that in a negative way, but if you can't make it through a, a couple bumps and bruises in this world, you're in trouble for the long haul, right? If you can't make it through, through a little pothole, what's going to happen when a big pothole comes? And this world's full of big potholes. So he's saying, if you're only dependent on the good times, you're going to be so disappointed. You're going to be so upset because good times have limitations. And accepting those limitations doesn't have to be a bad thing. You just have to understand them for what they are and also for what they're not. They're not the end of matter. Then, then he totally transitions here. Talking about more 
I guess you'd call it more hard wisdom. Look at five through seven. Five through seven, he gets to, to this next stage, and he starts off with this, this quote in verse five. It's better to listen to rebuke. It's almost like everything he's contrasting is like something you don't want versus something you need. You, you don't want this, but you need this. You don't want death, but you need the reality of it. You don't want sorrow, but, but you need the reality of it. You don't want the house of mourning, but you need the reality. You don't want rebuke, but you need the reality of it. So verse 5, he says, it's better to listen to rebuke from a wise person, from the right person, by the way. Don't miss that. You listen to rebuke from a negative person, you're going to have a negative life. That negative person will continue to tear you down further and further and further and further. You only receive rebuke from the right person, is what it says. At the right time, really. Right? We know about time from chapter 3. Better to listen to the rebuke from a wise person than to listen to the songs of the fools. Here's my translation. You might want to write it down. It is better to have wise people reprimand you than to have stupid people sing your praises. You want to understand scripture, start writing it out your own way. Don't change the word of the Lord. Don't change what it means. But write it down in your language so you can gather a hold of it, right? It's better to have wise people reprimand you. It's better to have a good person, preferably one that cares about you and actually wants to, to benefit you from it, reprimand you to keep you straight, rebuke you, than to have somebody stupid singing about you. Right? Singing your praises. Just to pump you up. And that's the idea. The idea Solomon's getting at here is when the message seems to focus on pumping you up and making you feel good, it's all about you, and that's when you need to be aware. If you've surrounded yourself with people, guys, that ain't never telling you nothing wrong, I'm going to be honest with you, you might not have true friends. A true friend's going to... We, we learned during the summertime how true our friendship is at the shop. I'm serious. Because we'll be kind enough to look at one another and be like, brother, you should have put on more deodorant. That way, when you get home, you can cover up the stench before your wife smells it, right? It's a good lesson there. But when we look at metaphors in Scripture, we've got to make sure we grab the, what, what the writer is tr really trying to say with the comparison. So here's what he says. He finishes the section with verse 6. He says, listening to the songs of fools is like the crackling of burning thorns under the pot. So is the laughter of the fool. So you can ask him, what, what metaphor, what picture is he trying to paint? In what way is foolish laughter like an open fire fueled by a bunch of, a bunch of thorn brush? Well, I thought down because I'm simple-minded. The very first thing I thought of is they sound the same. Y'all ever lit up? I mean, if you ain't never lit up a thorn bush, you at least lit up a Christmas tree in the South, right? We let ours dry out on purpose. We'll even gather some from friends if we need to just so we can light that thing up. And that thing will crickle, 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 and gone. But the sound of it, you'll never forget. It's like them thorn bushes, when they, when they, when they light up, they, the sound of them, you'll never, you'll never forget. And then I think of some of the foolish people I hear laugh sometimes. Y'all ever heard somebody have one of them laughs? <laughs> Sound like the hyena off the Lion King. You know what I'm talking about? Like, like that's, a, that's the first thing you think of when they, when they go to laughing and chuckling like that, and you're just shaking your head like, what in the world? How can somebody's laughter of joy upset me anymore right and you almost get you almost get sick of hearing it but if that laughter is complimenting you you're foolish enough to accept it and believe it and that's what solomon's writing at he's saying the, th the thing that you know sounds dumb your thing that you know is wrong the thing that you know is just a crackling and a popping you'll accept because it makes you feel good why because we're wired in a way where we like to feel good i can ask you this morning who wants to feel bad 
who wants to feel good? It ain't rocket science. We know we want to feel good. Nobody wants to feel bad. There's some foolish people that get in relationships and are like, he makes me feel so bad. And you're like, why are you with him? Like, what, 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 what do you, I just, I just, mm, he just makes, no, get away. Nobody wants to feel bad, right? So, so more importantly, here's where it goes even deeper now. And that's the obvious. More importantly, this, this fire of thorns, it, it's short-lived. Y'all said you'd seen the, the Christmas tree light up or, or, or a pile of brush that's been real, real dry. When you light it up, it's quick and, and then it goes, goes back out just as fast, right? So that the flame comes up quickly, kind of like the foolish laughter at somebody who will laugh at anything, but it doesn't keep burning for long. It's the same thing this, this fire does. It, it doesn't burn long like if it was under a log or under burning coals. As a result, the, the thorny bush or, or brush that gets caught up, it doesn't give off much heat. You could write it this way. I wrote it this way. More flame than fire. More flame than fire. You got more show. You got more woof. Then you got actual heat coming from it. Right? And we had some cold nights here recently. We got a, a large group of guys camping and all. Like I guarantee they wasn't just burning brush the whole time. They found some logs to put under the fire. They, they brought some, some stuff that mattered with some substance to it. So that it would put off real heat. And if they fell asleep the first night, they didn't know it was going to be 38 degrees. I assure you, they stayed awake the next night. Somebody dropping a log on the fire the whole night long so it could warm up. Because heat matters more than the flame. Right? Maybe this will get you if you didn't get it with the warmth. Because maybe y'all like me and y'all don't really get that cold. My wife got it with the warmth. Maybe you'll get it with the food. You can't cook nothing with a quick flame. you got to have some good heat. So if you want something that's going to bring nourishment, you want something that's going to bring some cooking, you better make sure that fire is putting off some real long-lasting heat and not a quick flash, a noisy, flashy, brief moment of flame. Solomon's saying it's better that you get something that's going to be lasting. It's better than the temporary relief that's not going to solve any problem. And he says the thing that's going to be lasting, the thing that's going to put off more heat, not only because it gets your blood flowing, but, but this thing, if we want to change for the better, this thing that's far more valuable than, than, than the laughter of fools or the laughter of stupid people is the rebuke of a godly man or a godly woman. It's the correction. It's the, it's the wisdom they bring forth. And Solomon's saying, he goes, the, the alternative to, to just a quick flame that goes up and goes out and you feel no warmth, the alternative is to listen to the rebuke of the wise person. It's to take heed to what they're saying. It's to, it's to listen to what you don't want to hear. That's a good way to write it down, because in reality, we don't want to hear it. Even the truth we don't like. That's why we'll embrace the lie. Right? Listen to what you necessarily don't want to hear. He says the rebukes may wound us and certainly not de designed to leave us undisturbed. And maybe that's the problem. Most of us, here's your ouch. We'd rather be comfortable than convicted and changed. Who wants to be convicted? Who wants to be changed? I'd rather be comfortable. And that's, that's the reality of people. So Solomon encourages us. He says, I want you to listen to the wise rebuke of a wise person. And here's the reality. One of the most loving things somebody in your life can do is to tell you what was wrong. In the right way. Now, I ain't saying you call all your best friends and text all your best friends and tell them all that they sucked at this week. Tell them all how bad they stink. The right way, the right timing. And sometimes the right time, and you gotta, you got to wait for it, right? And yes, it might hurt. I'm not taking away from that. Solomon writes in Proverbs chapter 27, verse 6. He says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. 
He's making sure we understand, like, it, it ain't always going to feel good. They're wounds. But it's better than the enemy kissing you. Right? The songs of fools in verse 5 of chapter 7 is very well the same thing of Proverbs where it says the kisses of an enemy. Of course, we don't want to see them at the enemy when they flatter us, when they're approving of us, when they're accepting what we are and who we are and what we do. But in reality, they may seem like friends, that, but, but, but they're not. To be rebuked is definitely for your good, especially when it's done by somebody who loves you, who has your, your, your end justification in mind. And think about that end justification in a minute, because we're going to get to some verses where he talks about the end is better than the beginning. Somebody who focuses on your end game rather than your beginning game is vital to your restoration. I mean, let me ask you this way and write this one down and answer it later. Will we cringe at correction like a curse or will we uh, embrace rebuke like a blessing? Which way is it going to be? That'll tell you a lot about yourself. If you instantly are cringing and, and staying away from it like it's the worst thing ever, like a curse, rather than embracing it, that tells you where your walk is, where your maturity level is. I'm going to throw out two, two giant categories bathed in Scripture right here. I debated on how to do them. I purposely didn't make them red so my wife didn't have to make 82 slides um, for, for this section. But, but here's section one. These are all warnings against dismissing brotherly correction. So these are all warnings against just dismissing rebuke. It says this in Proverbs 10, 17. The one who reject, rejects reproof leads others astray. So not, if you can't be corrected, how are you going to lead somebody else? Right? Because then when it comes time for you to correct somebody, they're going to look at you and be like, but you can't be corrected. Why do you think you can correct me? All right? So you, know, you never get the, the respect. Proverbs 12, 1, this is where I got my word stupid. It, it says the one who rejects reproof is stupid. Straight up, just you got to love how Scripture just paints it obvious, right? Proverbs chapter 15, 5 says he's a fool. Proverbs 15, 32 says he despises even himself. Proverbs 15, 10 said whoever hates reproof is going to die. Proverbs 13, 18 says, poverty and disgrace is what's coming his way. It don't sound like Scripture's holding anything back on this stuff, right? Maybe it's important. Now you got your second column, second category of, of bathed in Scripture, right? These are the promises of a blessing for people who want to embrace rebuke. So if you didn't like what you just heard, you want the opposite. Here's what it says. Proverbs 13, 18, whoever heeds reproof is honored. Verse 5 of chapter 15, it says he's, he's prudent. Chapter 15, verse 32, it says, He who listens to reproof gains great intelligence. He loves knowledge, is what 12.1 says. He dwells among the wise, is back in uh, verse 31. He, he has a path of life ahead of him. That's Proverbs 10.17. Because the rod and reproof give wisdom, verse 15. Proverbs 6.23, it says, The reproofs of discipline are the way of life. To the one who embraces rebuke. Here's what, here's what God actually says in his word. Proverbs 1.23. I will pour out my spirit to you. I, I can't tell you guys. I don't know if you've been following any of the, the revival thing that's going. That whole thing started with a student getting up and just confessing sin. Act of sin that they were still living in. Not something they had dealt with. Not something from the past. But, but something they were stuck in. They get up and they, they, they start confessing and somebody else does and, and what turned into a Wednesday service. I thought it was just the kids that won't take a test on Thursday. But then they're still there on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And I'm like, well, it must be more than a test. Then they're still there a week later. Then, you know what I'm saying? Then it spread to another campus. And, and it started with that, that, that repentance. 
It started with an understanding of rebuking. And I can't think, but at the same time, while you're in a group that big, when you begin to confess things, there's going to be somebody in there that loves you enough that's going to pour out some wisdom on you. And then you, you can almost feel and hear the Spirit say, what he says in Proverbs 1, 2, 3, I will pour out my Spirit to you. If you get rid of it and then you receive it, I will pour it. I can't tell. Who won't, does anybody not want the Spirit of God? I hear people all the time, oh, I wish I had more of the Spirit. I wish I had this. I, I wish I could get some more of the, the Pentecostal side of the Baptist so I could be a little more Baptist-like. Like, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I want a little bit more of it. Well, he says if you want a little bit more of it, you receive it. You get rid of what needs to get rid of, but you receive the rebuke, you receive the correction, you receive the wisdom and, and his Spirit. He said, I'm just going to pour it out on you. I'm, going, I'm, I'm promising it to you. But, but the opposite, same chapter, but the one who despises it, I will laugh at your calamity. Guys, can you imagine God? This is, this is God speaking. He says, I'll pour my spirit out on you, but if you won't receive it the right way, I'm going to laugh at you. Wow. Here's what it translates, translates into what Solomon is saying in verse 5. He says, if you listen only to the laughter of a fool, of a fool then God's going to be the one laughing in the end. I can't imagine something more sad, right? It will be said of those that reject correction. Here's what, here's what Proverbs says. They will eat the fruit of their way, and they'll have the fill of their own devices. You'll get exactly what it is you wanted. But you'll figure out what you wanted ain't what you wanted. They'll go to utter ruin is what chapter 5 calls it. Right? When the ruin comes for the fool who resists reproof, it says that he who waited too long, he stiffened his neck, and suddenly his neck will be broken beyond healing. How many times have we tried to, to wean off rebuke and correction and wisdom? And how many times has, have we developed a callous over our heart in that area, a callous over our mind in that area? And because we've been so callousized, there finally comes a point like Pharaoh where it's too late. We're broken too much. The wise recognize rebuke as a gift of gold is what it says. A token of kindness and a token of love. Psalm 141 verse 5. Let a righteous man strike me. Now notice, every time he says it, he's talking about let the right person do this. Don't you go out into the world seeking rebuke. Let the right person do this. Let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness from him. Let him rebuke me. It is oil for my head. Let my head not refuse it because of the value that comes behind it. But you know what problem? The problem we got? He's going to go into this here in just a minute. The problem is we got too much pride. Pride is the problem when it comes to receiving rebuke. A person who has too much pride, they can't receive. See, there'll be somebody who's willing to deliver, but you'll never receive because you let pride stop it. The very first thing I wrote down this week when I, when I read verse 5 was this. How do I deal with criticism? Nobody likes criticism. I'm not saying you, like, sit down with your, God, give me all the criticism you got, like, with joy. And I'm not telling you to be stupid. Right? I'm not telling you to be, be, be the fool. I'm telling you to make sure, like, how, how do you handle it? Well, you've got two, two natural responses by anybody in the room I would say we would relate. The first one is we fight. I don't want to hear it, so I fight back. Right? The second one, kind of the same thing when you get popped in the mouth. You're either going to punch back or you're going to flee. The second one is flight. We withdraw. We keep a distance because we don't like being hurt. However, if you read Scripture and you study this thing correctly, it tells us this. The right response is to listen. You listen to it. When their motive, keep in mind, I'm going to give a disclaimer every time. When the motive is to help you and not to hurt you, you listen. 
You listen to constructive criticism. Keyword constructive. You'll be at home among the wise as you as you get this thing. You don't you don't reject it because that'll harm yourself. I think there's a lot of people that are missing their maximum potential because they're not learning from constructive criticism. We we used to have a guy. I don't know how many of y'all still remember him. Uh, uh, Marvin Shelton. He attended for a long time. He would always every week. I, I had to get used to it, but every week he'd send me something he didn't like in the sermon, on purpose. On purpose. But but I, I've thought about some of the things over the years, and I'm like, man, I. I don't do that no more. I don't do this no more. Not that my sermons are perfect by any means, but I've received that constructive criticism enough where, where I still in my head when I write something, I remember not to say it that way because of the way it's perceived, whether it's what I mean or not, right? So, 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 so there, there, there's, some, there's some blessing that comes behind being surrounded. Now, I don't think I've reached my maximum potential. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm afraid of how many people in the church, how many people at work, how many people in our families, how many different roles we play that we're missing out on the maximum potential because we refuse to receive constructive criticism. Sometimes criticism hurts. I agree. And here's the problem, though, and here's where maybe it'll relate more to you. The problem is this. Hurting people want to hurt people. That's our other problem with listening. We get hurt, so we want to hurt back. Right? I don't want to hurt alone. I want them to hurt too. Right? But where is that in Scripture? That's a worldly reaction, as Solomon will say, this side of the sun mentality. The reality is this side of the sun, hurting people want to hurt people. Hurting people want misery. They want company with them, right? But the reality is, it's better to hear, what does he say? It's better to hear the rebuke of the wise than a man to hear the song of that momentary sound leaving nothing of any substance behind we got to develop a positive attitude toward being rebuked right i'm telling you right now because i know there's two or three of you in this room that sometimes you guys will tell me stuff i cherish that i'm not telling you i like hearing it i will never lie to you right sometimes i got to take it with a grain of salt and danny give me one or two every now and then while we lifting weights i'm like wow i'll chop you with a 45 in the head you must be crazy but but i need it I need, I, I like genuinely need it because I need more perception. I need more, 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 more to, than my eyes can perceive on my own. I need it. So we got to develop a positive attitude toward possibly even being rebuked. Rather than here's the first thing we do and, and tell me, don't tell me, matter of fact, that it gets you in trouble, right? Keep it to yourself. The first thing we do when we're getting rebuked is we develop a defense. And here's the problem with that. You're, you're, you're developing a response rather than listening to what they're saying. Now, how are you really listening if you're trying to work on a response? That applies to your marriage and your kids raising too. Now, that's, that's a free lesson for your marriage right there. If you're listening to your spouse with the idea of developing a response, you're missing out on something because you're not really hearing what they're saying. You can't be taking in what they're saying because you're so worried about defending yourself. Rather than developing a response, how about just shut up, be quiet, listen for a little while, and then maybe y'all can talk about it again later. I think it would be more beneficial personally. Maybe even some of the same things when we, when we talk with our kids, right? All right, I can stay there for a minute, but y'all got lunch, so. Here's the last comparison. 7 through 10. Solomon, the preacher, the teacher, he's writing and he, he's responding to his people. He's responding to some thoughts he's had for six chapters now on, on how bad things are and how miserable it is no matter who you are, where you're at. This side of the sun, it all sucks, it all stinks. And then 7 through 10 this last comparison, he teaches how having, having a, I'm going to call it a different perspective. I, I, I think he's getting godly, but, but 
but he doesn't use God until the very end. But, but he's getting a, a different perspective, a godly perspective for us today in church at least, about what is happening in the world. And here's what he says. The wisdom and the reality at the very beginning right there, just, just it's awesome. Surely oppression destroys even a wise man's reason. For all the chapters he's been writing, for all the journal he's been going on, for everything that he said up until this point, he's been praising the, the instructive role of adversity. He's been talking about the, the blessings of, of sorrow, the benefit of, of death, and, the, and the, 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 the good stuff that can come from the, the hardness of life. But in his wisdom, he also understands that suffering has its limit even on the wisest person. We as people can only take so much, right? And it would destroy a wise man's reason is what he's saying. The reality is we can't take but so much on our own before we break. And Solomon writes this thing, and, he, and, he, and, he, and he's hoping that they, they get this because even wise people lack sufficient wisdom to always escape oppression and its consequences. And what he says is this, that, that if they get to that breaking point and they tried to handle it all on their own and in their own wisdom and they didn't make it, these kinds of situations is going to be what most of your translations have written this way. These kinds of situations is what's going to drive one to madness. As a believer, I've been there. I've been there. I don't know if you've been there, but I, I've been to situations where, where I let myself get caught up and I let myself get trapped and it drove me to, I'm talking about losing my mind. Not losing my mind and wanting to respond in anger where I can let it out by beating somebody up or, or working out. I'm talking about just, just loss. Ulcer in your stomach loss. Like feeling sick loss even though you ain't had, you know, like just loss. Mad, as he calls it, madness. I think that's a good, a good depiction of it. Like you've got a battle going on inside. You, you develop and become the, the crazy person. And then he sends this great truth right after that. Oh, this is such a good truth. If you get nothing else out of today, I pray you get verse 8. I'm telling you right now. Solomon's words in verse 8, he says, the end of a thing is better than its beginning. Now, I know some of you, you hear this and you're like, yeah, the end of the sermon is better than the beginning. <laughs> if you would wrap this thing up, <laughs> we'd all be happier. And I'll agree with you up until some point because <laughs> as hard as it is for you to get some of my points, it's just as hard for me to make the point. Right? I'm being serious. But perhaps it's a little deeper than that. Perhaps it's, it's this. You're mindful of the opportunities that you've missed, the mistakes that you've made. That's a reality. I don't know one of us in the room that aren't mindful of, of things that we've missed out on or mistakes that we've made in the past. And, and I don't know one of us that when we think about regret, we don't let it sting us a little bit. Regret stings. But the question he's asking is this. And I think this, this verse can help take the sting out of your regrets. Because the question he's asking is this. Would you rather relive it? Or would you rather get to the end of it? Right? Isn't that what he's writing? Better is the end than the beginning. You know, how, how many times have we said, oh, time flies. I wish I could go back and do last year over. Hell no. I'm saying it just like that. I'm telling you right now. Ain't no way I want to do next year over. Or last year over. I don't know about next year yet. Might be a good year. I might want to do it over, right? No, I don't want to do next year over. Or last year over. Man, I'm messing it up. Never mind. Let me get on out of here. Right? Yeah, if you seriously think about this statement, you don't really mean it. I think that's why he says in verse 10, skip down to verse 10 real quick, and then we'll go back to 9 again. In verse 10, he says, do not say where the formal, where the formal days better than this. He's saying you're a fool if you want to go back in time. Think of yourself as a captain of a ship. You just come out of a storm. You want to turn around and go back through the same storm? No, you're grateful you made it out of the storm. Nobody wants to relive it and go back through it. You've already survived it, right? 
Don't, don't say, why are the former days better than these? I think Solomon understood, and here's a lot of problems we got. Solomon understood our tendency to romanticize the past and think that it's better than our current time. Y'all ever, we hear that at the shop all the time. Anybody over 65, y'all think y'all had the best generation in the world. Y'all will come and y'all will sit down at the shop and y'all, oh, back in my day, we worked twice as hard as y'all. Back in my day, we did this. Back in my day, we raised the kids. No, the kids you raised is the ones running the world now, ding-dongs. So evidently, you didn't raise your kids as good as you thought you did. Am I right? Am I right or am I wrong? If you're sitting by somebody 65, just don't answer, right? We, we try to romanticize. But you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, man. Back in the day, things was great. No, you just had different problems. Right? We've been blocked. Warren Wisby, he writes this right here. He writes a good one. He writes this. It has been said that the good old days, quote, unquote, are the combination of a bad memory and a good imagination. (laughs) Is that not true? Man, I love the beginning of my marriage, but I wouldn't go back to it. I love what I got now. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's stronger now than it's ever been. And that don't mean there wasn't a bunch of bad in there. That just meant we overcame a bunch, so now we we, 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 we the quarter three strands now. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're ready to roll. We're ready to pull when we need to pull. Same thing, guys. You know, we always talk about, and I don't know how you women get this. And I say women because men ain't crazy enough for this one. Yes, I'm being sexist, right? 100%. You women, y'all are looking like people holding these little babies. You know what I'm saying? Like, like y'all look at Danny and, and, and y'all look at Brittany and they're getting ready to, to pop and deliver. And you're like, oh, I can't wait to see the little baby. I missed when they was little. You ain't never heard a man say that. I ain't never missed for one moment unless it was when I could put them in the crib and they couldn't walk and get away. That was it. That was the only benefit. I love them now. I love them more now and ever. We can wrestle. We can play. We can throw balls. You know, like I can talk to them and have discussion. That age right there, whew. That's some scary stuff. Y'all didn't know we planned that sermon illustration right there, did you? We is that good here at Brookhaven, baby, right? <laughs> Wise people certainly learn from the past, guys, but they live in the present with all its opportunities. That's what Solomon's writing. He's saying, don't, don't, don't keep staring at the past. Man, man you've you, you undergone some physical storms. Do you really want the doctor to call you again and tag you to diagnosis? Maybe it was a spiritual storm. Do you really want to receive the arrows of the enemy one more time against you? Or do you rather just be glad that he can't throw that same arrow because you got that arrow that you kept? I kept that one. I'm learning from that one. He ain't getting me again that one, right? Would you really like to go back through the same struggles and temptations again? No. Last year is gone. Thank goodness. The older and the wiser I am now is how I could get through the next one. James writes it this way. He's smart. James says this. My brethren, my brothers. I want you to count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. God has used the events of your past, even our failures, not that he wanted you to go into them, but he uses them, if you're his, to help us grow. Matter of fact, put that disclaimer right now. If you're his, because if you ain't his, none of this stuff's working for you, right? If we give it to him 100%, he'll take care of it. I don't want to go back and redo nothing. I'm glad to be freed from my past, right? That should be a large relief for so many of us. I, I think this verse produces a, a, a calming of our, of our fears for the future. Right? I don't have to fear the future if I know God's telling me it's, it's going to be better. Right? It, it, you're going to get through this. It, 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 the end's a little better, right? Look at it this way. 
If you wake up in the morning and, and, and the sun's behind the clouds, you don't just assume the sun ain't never shining again, do you? Right? No. Same thing in your life. Just because you're in a dark period of life, don't, don't despair. The, the sun's going to shine again. The, the forecast will change, and that should give us some hope, ability to dismiss our fears, to know that, that God is in charge. Jeremiah says this way, if you're his, if he's in charge. For I know the plans I got for you, says the Lord, plans for good, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. You got something to hope for to get through the dark times, if, again, if you're his. If you're his, conditional. What about Joseph, sold into slavery? All his brothers disowning, falsely accused of, of trying to do something with, with, the, with the Pharaoh or the king's daughter, thrown into prison, his darkest moment. Yet he rises to one of the highest positions in power in Egypt. He could have never got there had it not been for going to prison, right? Prison might be what some of y'all need. <laughs> take that how you want to take it, right? You got to be refined by the fire, man. Quit dreading the future. Solomon says the end of a thing, the end of a thing is better than the beginning. I want to encourage our faith that if we're able to look at our past and our future, our pains of everything that we've been through, right? And at the same time, understand, understand what Solomon's writing here, that, 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 that God, God says that if we wait, wait on his time in the matter, if we'll trust him in the matter. You know, I, I hear people talk about, you ever hear believers talk about praying for patience? You hear some of them talk about it. Then you hear, I asked for patience and had the worst week of my life ever. Well, that's because you was dumb enough to ask for it. You can't get it if you ain't tested for it. You know what I'm saying? Like, you got to build that up. Yeah, that's like going to the gym. You're going to be sore after the first couple times if you hit it right. Right? But at the same time, should we as believers have to ask for patience or should we just come to the reality that I have patience? What do you mean, Pastor? Because I got Jesus Christ inside of me. I don't have to ask for it. I just got to utilize it. I got to start exhibiting it. I got to start letting it out. I, I got to start having some of that long suffering. No, too many Christians, we want to get in a hurry and we want to try to work things out for God instead of letting God think, work things out for us. Look, look at what Isaiah says. I know y'all know this one. Thought I'm an Eagle fan this week. I noticed you ain't wearing that jersey. You wore that jersey for a couple weeks, dog, just saying. Like, and then... I'm just saying, I'm just saying. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with the wings of eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. It is in the waiting that we learn to trust in God, that we learn to rely on God. How many of y'all got some, don't, don't raise your hand again. How many of you got some patience in the Lord? Patience in the Lord produces power, guys. It does. It gives me the power to know that I can get through stuff. God, God is the giver of that strength. Remember Paul said, when, when I am weak, then I'm strong. What he's saying is, when I realized I couldn't handle no more, is when I fully developed the strength of God being able to handle stuff through me. As a child of God, there's nothing that he couldn't accomplish. He's here for me, right? If we try to make it on our own, you ain't never going to make it. Here's another thing patience does, by the way, if you catch it. Patience produces purpose. Now, I'm looking at what David wrote, Solomon's daddy, and I think Solomon would have thought of it. I think he would have had knowledge of it. I think he would remember. And you go to, go to Psalm chapter 40. I don't know if this one's on the screen or not, so if you flip in there, why you flip there? I just, wanna, just want you to think about something. How many times is it we try to find our purpose in the people around us, the events around us, the things around us, the groups around us, right? She, she just walked in. Celeste's purpose is not in children's ministry. Her purpose is to serve the Lord. That group, that ministry, that organization is just a way she does it. 
the minute the way she does it replaces what she's doing, she'll be in a heap of trouble. No different than me as a pastor. The, the minute this pastor uh, ministry becomes the what instead of the why, I'm in a heap of trouble. You in a heap of trouble. There's a big difference, seriously. Psalm chapter 40. Better start making sure you're fulfilling your purpose of God. Because if he's number one, everything else will fall into place. Look at what David writes, Psalm 40. I'm just going to use three verses. He said in verse 1, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. I don't know about you, but when I get to a crying stage, my patience leaves. So I'm relating to what David's writing here. When David says, I, I was crying, I was whining, I, I was broke up, I'm like, I quit waiting. But David says, I waited patiently during this period. I, 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 I held on. Then listen to verse 2. Because he held on, he's able to say this. He brought me up out of the horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet on the rock and established my goings. Patience didn't bring him down. Patience brought him up. Right? There's a difference. Verse 3. And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise until our God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. Having patience with God brought forth David's purpose in God. His purpose in life. Man, the more we trust, the more, more patience we have, the more, the more purified we get as believers. That, that's part of that sanctification process, guys. I'm serious. That, that, that pureness of our soul, because what we're saying is this. It don't matter what's going on around me. It don't matter what's happening to me. I, I don't care how bad things are going to be and the tribulations and the afflictions that are coming. What matters most is what is God doing for my soul? What is God doing for my, for my actual being of who I, I really am? My old body, that's just a vessel. And I think as he gets on this patience thing, he gets a, a, little, bit of, a little bit of Solomon style got to come up in there, you know. Because here's what he says. Verse 9. Don't let your spirit rush to be angry, for anger abides in the heart of fools. Patience is better than pride. Patience is willing to let God be God and wait on God's timing and wait on God and trust God's process. Pride? Pride believes God's obligated to do what I want him to do right now. That's the biggest difference. Pride's in a hurry. <laughs> patience? Patience waits on God's timing. And he's saying this, that if you have no patience, anger is probably going to be produced. Am I right? You ever think about those moments? I think about them because I ain't going to lie to you. I get to them about the end of every day. I do good at the shop most of the time. I do good when I get home most of the time. I do good right up until bedtime for the kids. And then there's like this little... It's like this last little thing on the inside. I'm like, I don't put up with enough today. Just being honest, right? Can't be honest, don't do it. <laughs> and that last little bit says, you little demons, if you don't start listening to me, I'm going to beat the snot at every single one of you. Except for I say it with a real voice and not that little sugar one y'all just got. And you'd be surprised how fast they brush their teeth, shower, and get in bed. So then I got to ask myself, Lord, why? Why do they have to make me get to that point before they just listen to me calmly say? I do the same thing when we leave now. I'm real nice. I started 30 minutes in advance, guys. Wednesday before church, 30 minutes in advance. Got 30 minutes, guys. Just as calm and nice as can be. I'm serious. I promise you. Ask Crystal. I'm, I'm dead honest. 15 minutes, guys. 10 minutes, guys. 
Guys, I expect y'all to be in the truck and we're leaving in five minutes. At six minutes, I'm no longer the nice pastor. I'm the fallen. You little brats, get in the truck now! Get my Bible, get my bag, load it up. Why did you not already have it done? This is what happens. And now you know. But they'll get in the truck. We need to have like a group. You know, here's the problem. This, this one's good for you for real now. This is honest. Patience means living with difficult people and seeing them not as a problem, not as a nuisance, not as an interference to our plans, but actually having a role in what God's trying to do in this world. That's part of patience. And I admit that's the toughest one to grab a hold of. If we could view our circumstances this way, I think we'd reduce some of the, the easily angered moments. Because the reality is this, pride leads to anger with God and with others, and a lack of patience leads to anger with God and with others. Paul writes the church in Ephesians chapter 4, he says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. I love that. You know why I love it? Because of the beginning. It says, be angry. It says it. Read it. I ain't trying to tell you nothing. The scripture don't tell you. It says you're allowed to be mad. Then there's a but. Of course, I hate part of the verse. Right? Like, God, you had a good idea right there, Lord. I don't know why you, why you had to change it. You said we could be mad. You said we could be angry. You said we could exhibit some anger. And then you said, but do not sin. Well, darn, God, you took all the fun out of being angry. Be angry. Here's, here's, what, here's what he's really right, and here's, I think, what Solomon realizes as well. Be angry, but realize the dangers of anger. Don't go there too soon, and don't stay there too long. I can tell you, I, I, I'm not as much as funny as that might sound to some of you guys. I really do break every time we load up to go somewhere, and I really break every time it's 9 o'clock for bedtime for the kids. And I'm thankful to say I really do recover right after both of them. I'm going to get to a point where I can stop breaking, I think. But right now I'm breaking and recovering. But I'm recovering a lot faster. I'm dead serious. My wife told me the other day, I can't even remember if it was one of the bedtime ones or one of the leaving ones, and, and she told me straight up, she goes, you recovered fast. <laughs> I know, baby. It's good to be slow to anger. Maybe what he's also saying, Solomon's talking about wisdom, maybe he's saying let your mind engage before your mouth. There's good advice. I think most anger is either a sinful attempt to control somebody or, or an indication of a lack of trust. I'm serious. I, I don't trust God enough with the outcome, so I get angry. I, I, I want to control the outcome, so I get angry. Worldly people may live in the, in the present. Christians may live in the, in the future. But faithful people to the Lord, we realize something, that the end really is better than the beginning. Jesus said, Revelation 2, verse 8, Be faithful until death, and I'll give you the crown of life. Now, that's a long time to be faithful now. It's conditional. Be faithful to the end. Follow me all the way. Stay strong. You struggling to hang on to your faith this morning? Take heed. The end is better than the beginning. Romans 8, 18. For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory in which is going to be revealed unto me. Yeah, this, this time period's got some bad, but Paul tells the Romans a little bit later, he says, now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Christ. 
knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer got a dominion over me. It ain't got no hold on me. The end is better than the beginning. Solomon's right me saying that we got to endure the tough times. Think of it as a piece of coal. They got to dig deep to get coal out the earth. When they finally get coal out the earth, take, it takes a certain amount of pressure, tremendous pressure, to turn coal into a diamond. And you would think, oh, that's great, that's awesome, that's wonderful. But the diamond still ain't done. You would think after all that horrendous pressure, enough would be enough. Can you relate with the piece of coal? Enough would be enough. I'm a diamond now, God. But God says, no, i got to dig you up. Not only do I have to dig you up, I now have to transport you to a different location. But God, I don't want to go to a different location. I like where I'm at. No, i got a different role for you right now, and you got to go to a different location to become the different role. And when you get to the different location, there's going to be a guy with a chisel. And he's got to hammer on you. He's going to have to grind on you. He's got to cut on you. He's going to have to shape you. Because if you ain't been shaped into what you're supposed to be for the position I'm about to put you in, <laughs> you just can't do it. But, but God, I had all that pressure. I had all that, that problem. Yeah, I know. That was one stage of it. Now, here, here's the next part. The jeweler cutting away to make you what I really want you to be. No doubt the pain will be processed. I mean, the process will be painful. But only after pressure, only after cutting, is the diamond really what it's supposed to be, right? Solomon's right and he's saying, guys, the, the end is worth it. It's worth it. He's actually finally trying to encourage us. I'm serious. I love this chapter, man. Oh, I ain't even made it through the chapter. We, we, we stopped at verse 14. You keep the same chapter in the bulletin next week, right? Like We, we didn't make it there, right? I, I love it because it's, it's something brewing. It's something brewing. But, but here, please write this last part down. If you don't write, if you, even if, if, you write, if you don't write in your Bible, I want this written in your Bible. That, that's how good this, this next thing is, right? And it's super easy. It comes from the idea of we've got to take action, right? Here's the idea. If the end is better than the beginning, then there must be a beginning. You get it? If the end is better than the beginning, then there must be a beginning. Meaning this, guys, here's what you need to write down. You can write it down with two words. I summed it up super easy. I must start. Must start. Because if you don't start, well, you ain't going to get a better ending. Right? The end can only be better than the beginning if you began. There's somebody in this room that's never began their walk with Christ. There's somebody online that listen today or listen six months from now, listen six years from now, that, that they never walk with Christ. I challenge them to begin it. Begin trusting. Begin, begin, get past all the stuff Solomon done checked out. Use, use his time and his journal as, as a means to, to, to fast forward a little bit so you don't have to go through all that. And you can get to chapter 7 and start realizing, oh, there's some wisdom in this thing. There, there's something good coming out of this. If I, if I quit focusing on life this side of the sun and, and get the big picture of it, there's some believers that they've been, they've been wanting to start back up, man. They've been wanting to get back on fire. They heard about this revival, and they want their own revival. You know what I'm saying? Like, could you, I can't imagine something to be better to be jealous for. You know what I'm saying? That's bragging rights, man. I'm going to tell you right now, if I was part of that revival when I died and I got to heaven, I'm going to tell God, God, you know what I did? I made people jealous for a revival. Now, God would probably slap me and tell me, son, you ain't did nothing. I'm the maker and doer of all, right? But I'm a telling. Lord, I, I, want somebody to be, I want somebody to be jealous. You cannot end what you do not begin. And, I, and I'd be foolish, guys, if I leave out something else as well. So hang with me through the end, right? Th this ain't a blanket statement. 
the, the, this is Ecclesiastes. This, this, is, this is one man's journal with a lot of true ideas. And I say that to, to make sure you understand this. Sadly, the idea of the envy and better isn't always true. You get me? I'm not making a blanket statement promise. This is not God's promise to you. This is one man writing a journal to you. And he's saying the end can be better than the beginning. But just to use real life example, don't tell me the, the fellow that got drunk at a party last night and can't remember where he is this morning. The end is better than the beginning. Don't tell me the business guy that made millions of dollars and he, and he lost his whole family because money became his God. Don't tell me the end is better than the beginning. Right? It's conditional. So before going into the, to the section for next week, I, I want to look at 11 through 14. I ain't going to preach on them, so y'all calm down. I still got 30 seconds anyway. Wisdom is a good inheritance and an advantage to those who see the sun. As long as you're this side of earth, he says wisdom is a good thing for you. Because wisdom is protection as silver is protection. He's going to get in. He's talking about that silver. That's money, right? He's going to say wisdom is more valuable than money, though. Is that wisdom preserves the life of its owner. Consider the work of God. Who can straighten out what he's made crooked? Now, he ain't saying God did nothing crooked, right? I read one guy. He wrote about God doing stuff, doing some crooked stuff. And I said, what in the world? I had to read it again to make sure, like, he was serious. And he was. What a nice guy. See, I'm doing better. Patience with people, long-suffering. Huh? You can't straighten out what God wanted to curve. You can't smooth out the bumps God wanted you to hit. In the day of prosperity, last verse for today, in the day of prosperity, be joyful. But in the day of adversity, consider, here it is. Here's Solomon's moment. God has made the one as well as the other so that no one can discover anything that will come after him. It ain't about the hills. It ain't about the valleys. It's about the consistency of God. He's with me in the hills. He's with me in the valleys. He's with me at the highs. He's with me in the lows. The question for you is this. Are you wise enough to live in his presence? We talk about wisdom. Are you wise enough to live in the presence of God? Are you wise enough to live in the patience of God? Are you wise enough to live in the focus of God? Are you wise enough to live in the promise and the hope of God? We, we got this, this idea of, of long-term versus short-term. Here's what long-term versus short-term is. I, I picture Jesus. Solomon was wise, but he wasn't no Jesus, right? Jesus in the desert. He's in the desert. He's with us 40 days. He's hungry. He done fasted. He done prayed up. He done let the storm be a brewing. The conditions were right. Satan thought his conditions were right too. So Satan comes alongside and Satan says, how about you turn that uh, rock into some bread? Jesus says, I'm not willing to sacrifice the long-term benefit for the short-term gain. The, the short-term gain of eating that bread, that fulfillment, that nourishment for that, that small moment has nothing to do with my long-term purpose that my father has for me. How many of you are willing to have some long-suffering for the good rather than sacrificing and surrendering the short-term for the temporary? We've got 10,000 reasons to start a revival. You know why they use 10,000 reasons? That's as high as they could count back in the day. That's the biggest number they had. Seriously, that's all they thought of. 10,000 was like an unrealistic number. 
the writer takes that idea and he says, you got 10,000 10, reasons to be on fire for God. 10,000 reasons to trust God. 10,000 10, reasons to look at even the bad and the suffering in this world and embrace it as lesson time. Father God, we thank you for this morning, Lord. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord God, for what went on in this room. Your spirit, God, filling up this room like Isaiah said, that this room be so full of your presence, Lord God, that there's no room for, there's no room for our mischief, no room for our doubt, no room for our, our lack of faith, no, no room for our fear. God, increase our walk with you, Lord God. Increase our knowledge of you, Lord God. God, increase our strength and reliance on you. Increase our, our ability to call on you to be our patience. Not when you need more of it, Lord God, but help us to utilize what you've already given us. Lord, help us to get rid of pride. Help us, Lord God, to embrace rebuke. God, help us to, to seek wisdom, whether it be in the good or in the bad, Lord God. God, we surrender it all over to you, and we thank you that you are Lord over all of it. In your name we pray. Amen.